Hello, and thank you for joining us today on the Ropes and Gray podcast. I'm Josh Lichtenstein, an ERISA partner based in our New York office. Joining me today is Eve Ellis, a partner in the asset management group based in London, who focuses on European regulatory matters for fund managers. In this podcast, we are going to be covering the recent DOL rule on ESG investing and how managers should think about integrating these new DOL rules alongside similar but sometimes competing rules that have come out in the EU. So, Eve, as I think about these issues, you know, I really focus on the fact that while the DLL recently finalized its new rule on investment decisions that will require private retirement plans and asset managers to change how they approach ESG-focused investments, they also need to think about the existing framework that's, of course, been out there, including the EU rule. The main takeaway, in my mind, from the new DLL rule is that ERISA plans may still make ESG investments but they have to focus exclusively on material pecuniary factors in making their investment selections. That new use of the term pecuniary factors is a new term in the lexicon in this space. And the most important thing to take away from that is that it requires that you're considering material economic factors, not just economic factors. And outside of very rare tiebreaker scenarios where two otherwise equivalent investments are being considered. ESG factors can really only be considered when they are financial factors, and they also must be weighted appropriately based on the expected impact of those factors on the investment being evaluated. And so as a practical matter, this means that ESG integration funds and funds which incorporate ESG as part of their return driving strategy or as a factor to drive investment returns and diversification will be easier for an ERISA plan to select than an impact fund or another type of fund that describes itself as being focused more on promoting social good or creating other collateral benefits in the world in addition to driving investment returns. The new rule also prohibits using ESG funds as the default investment options for 401k plans in most cases. And that's significant because we know as a matter of behavioral economics, 401k plan participants are most likely to keep their assets invested in the default investment. Eve, what is your reaction to the DOL's new rule and its singular focus on economic factors in evaluating ESG from the perspective of an EU regulatory lawyer thinking about how an EU fund would seek to comply with those rules? Thanks, Josh. And I think just taking a step back, it's worth, just for those who are less familiar with the EU rule, just giving a really high-level overview of them. So there's two impending regulatory changes in relation to ESG in the EU. The first is the Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation, or SFDR, and the second is the Taxonomy Regulation. The SFDR probably is more pressing because that comes into force next March, and it also has broader scope. Um, And very broadly, the SFDR will capture all managers that have a presence in the EU, but it will also capture managers that just market their products in the EU. So even if they don't have a regulated entity in the EU, they may also have an indirect impact for managers that act as sub-advisors or portfolio managers to EU regulated entities. The other important point just to bear in mind is that the SSDR impacts all products, not just those that have an ESG focus or objective or sustainable objective. The taxonomy regulation, on the other hand, is only relevant if you have a fund that does have an ESG or sustainable objective. 
the regulations require disclosure, particularly SFDR, um, and that disclosures are relevant at both the manager level and the product level. And very broadly, um, particularly the SFDR, and I'll mention this probably more because it is more pressing and has a broader scope, require managers to have policies and procedures in place that demonstrate how they integrate sustainability risk factors into their investment decision-making process, but also into, uh, in relation to other operations for their business, for example, remuneration um, policies. Um, and so my response and sort of reaction to the DOL rule is that I think that there is going to be a tension there. The EU rules require you to integrate um, sustainability risks into your investment decision-making process and other parts of the operations. And I think there is therefore a tension um, to the extent that those factors don't necessarily have a financial driver or financial criteria attached to them. And I think that tension is compounded um, for products that do have an ESG um, focus or sustainability objectives, because to those funds, there's even more requirements in relation to disclosure that apply. And so I think that is certainly something that managers are going to have to balance how they deal with the two um, slightly competing regimes. Well, it's very interesting, Eve, because you know, as you talk about the EU rules and about the way that they apply more broadly than just to ESG-focused funds, I mean, that's actually very similar to the DOL's rule, because the DOL's rule, in fact, doesn't even mention the words ESG in the final text. Um, but similar to what you were just describing, it definitely does hit um, ESG funds uh, more directly and uh, creates more, more burdens. But when I think about ESG from an ERISA perspective, the thing that I always come to is marketing materials. Um, the new DOL rule will put a lot of pressure on asset managers to make sure that they're being reasonable and accurate in how they describe their ESG claims. And it will be important to tell the economic story behind your ESG philosophy. This is true for any fund that may market to an ERISA plan, regardless of whether that fund is expected to hold plan assets or not. And so managers who are used to not really thinking about ERISA that much, like um, mutual fund managers, actually need to be prepared to, um, you know, to make adjustments based on this rule if they want to be able to market to ERISA plans. Uh, I think that this draws in a lot of important themes in the ESG marketplace, like how you measure the economic impact of ESG factors, greenwashing, and ESG integration more broadly. And I can easily imagine a manager being in the room for a pitch, and that pitch, which is otherwise going well in front of an ERISA plan sponsor, becomes derailed when the presenters turn the page on their slide deck and they realize that they've included a generic slide on the ESG philosophy of the manager that includes broad philosophical claims instead of something that's more detailed and targeted about how ESG is being incorporated for that specific fund in order to drive good returns for that fund. Do you have similar concerns about marketing materials under the EU rules? Yeah, look, I think greenwashing certainly is one of the key components. It probably is at the heart of a lot of the EU regulation, particularly the taxonomy regulation, and making sure you know, a fund does what it says it's going to do and that investors are making informed decisions about what products to invest in. So trying to reduce greenwashing really is a key part um, of the regulation. And so therefore, you know, a manager can't put bold statements in its marketing materials and not be able to deliver or to um, explain to investors how they actually intend to meet those objectives. 
And there's particular provisions in the SFDR, for example, that say that you're not allowed to have inconsistent marketing materials. So, you know, if you say something in your disclosures, that needs to be reflected in your marketing um, documentation. I think that's that's a really key part of the EU um, regime. And one thing that's worth bearing in mind, particularly for ESG-focused funds, both under SFDR and under, under the taxonomy regulation, you will need to clearly disclose how you intend to meet the objectives that you set out that are either um, part of the ES or G um, or the sustainable objectives that your fund is meant to be achieving. And the taxonomy regulation also goes further than that and says that you will need to disclose that, you know, that you're not going to do significant harm um, to certain um, criteria that are set out in the um, taxonomy regulation. So I think, I mean, Josh, I think that's completely right. That really is a key part of the EU regime. Interesting. And and you mentioned disclosure. And of course, as lawyers, you know, we spend a lot of time thinking about and talking about disclosures and helping our clients with them. And from the DOL standpoint, my main concerns about disclosure are actually pretty similar to what I was mentioning about marketing. It's important to be focused and targeted in describing how you're going to use ESG factors in your investment process. But this may be difficult where managers want to have uniform disclosure whether it's going to appear on the websites or in some sort of government mandated or regulatory required disclosure. I've had a lot of conversations about this with clients who are trying understandably to have a single global ESG policy. And then they run into issues when they need to apply that policy to funds that are being targeted towards ERISA plans. When I talk to clients about this, my advice has generally been, that they really either will need to limit the way that they describe ESG and their global policies or sort of try to change the, the slant or phraseology used to de-emphasize the non-financial considerations or have a separate U.S. policy or policy rider, although that isn't always ideal for global managers. Um, Eve, I'd be curious to hear um, if you've had similar conversations and how you've been thinking about these different types of challenges and advising our clients. Yeah, look, I definitely agree. The integration across different geographies, across different requirements and different rules is really important for for people that are listening and for our clients because it's it's you know, really important that as far as we can, um, policies are integrated. And so I think trying to look at you know the DOL rules, the EU rules, and even investor requirements and requests, you know, they can't be done in a vacuum. They really do need to be looked at across because ESG just permeates so much of the business. So I think one of the things that we're saying to clients when it comes to sort of the EU piece is we need to look at the EU piece. We need to do a clear sort of scoping exercise, gap analysis, look at the requirements. But a really important of your SFDR roadmap is working out how it integrates across the different requirements so that if you, if ERISA investors are part of your investor base, we do try and address as far as we can the DOL requirement. Um, and you know, as many investors have been um, driving for many years, even before the regulatory change, you know, ESG is a clear focus for investors. So making sure that those um, requirements are built into any policy that is put in place to deal with SFDR. And as I say, not looking at it, at it in a vacuum, I think is so important. And the other thing that I would say is that SFDR has obviously got disclosure in the name and disclosure is obviously key, but a lot of the disclosures 
relate to underlying policies and procedures. So it's not going to be sufficient from a EU perspective to sort of put a disclosure on the website necessarily. There will need to be policies and procedures that back up um, those disclosures. And I think that's probably the key part of the implementation process. So for those managers that are listening that have got more complex global structures with different regulated managers and with um, different types of products, that scoping exercise and then looking at how it integrates across the business as a whole, I think is really important. Yeah, that's such an interesting uh, aspect of all of this. You know, there are these conversations that we would have historically thought of as being sort of isolated to just, you know, one geography or one segment of the market. And now we're thinking of them on more of a global basis. Um, and I think that it's just a trend that's going to endure and you know be accelerated by by all these types of rules that really more and more of what we do is becoming global. But another place where I think that it's interesting uh, to think about is sort of differentiation among different types of targeted investors. And as I mentioned before, different types of plans in the U.S. will actually react to the DOL's rule in different ways. For a traditional defined benefit pension plan, uh, the rule will mostly influence what their investment diligence process looks like and how they document the process. And so if you're trying to you know, sell a product to one of these investors, it's very important to focus on sort of what you're presenting to the committee, to the fiduciary, to make sure that the fiduciary is able to um, you know, easily document you know, how they went through the appropriate process under these rules and you know, weren't unduly influenced by um, you know, non-financial ESG aspects of the investment or other non-financial aspects. But for a participant-directed contributory plan, like a 401k plan, the rule will actually be fairly different because it will likely result in ESG options having to be selected to be alternatives to other similar funds on, a, on an investment lineup, with very few ESG funds being incorporated in any way into the default investment. And as I said before, that has direct ramifications for um, the amount of dollars that you can expect plan participants to allocate uh, you know, to these products. Now, for the state-sponsored plans, which are you know, obviously very large investors in private funds, the impact is less direct because the rule doesn't actually apply to them. But the rule does influence how ERISA fiduciaries act. And it's very common for these state plans to ask an asset manager to agree by contract to act like it's an ERISA fiduciary when managing assets of a state plan. And if that's the case, then the rule likely would actually influence the investment process unless there's an explicit contractual carve out saying that the manager agrees to act as if it's an ERISA fiduciary but you know the avoidance of doubt will not be required to comply with with the new uh, ESG rules. Eve, do you think that different classes of investors will need to be treated differently under the EU regime? The EU rules don't distinguish between investors, Josh. So there's no sort of specific distinction that you'll need to treat different investors in different ways. The one point I would make though is that some investors have their own requirements. So there are some additional rules that will impact. Um, listed institutional investors, for example. So they will need to be able to comply with their own regulatory obligations when it comes to ESG. 
And also there may well be some institutional investors that themselves are regulated and therefore subject to SFDR and taxonomy regulation. So that may have an impact on how they interact with the managers, but the rules themselves, SFDR and taxonomy regulation, don't distinguish between investors in the same way as I think you've described. Interesting. So, so far we've been talking and there's been, I think, a lot of sort of confluence in framework, although a lot of the substance is different. This is a place where the framework is also fairly different. Now, you know, turning to like a slightly different topic, um, I know I've had some difficult conversations with clients about some hard choices that they're evaluating based on all of these new rules that are coming out. I've seen clients that were planning on um, offering some ESG-focused funds that would be targeted at ERISA plans, um, and I have seen them abandon those. I've also seen clients consider starting separate funds just for their ERISA investors so that they could have very clear separations in the way that, um, that the marketing gets handled and the way the investment process even weights ESG factors for the different products. And I've also seen clients consider how they could change the descriptions of their ESG diligence process or ESG philosophy based on the DOL rule, even though that doesn't necessarily align with what they'd like to do um, from a business standpoint. Um, have you had uh, you know, similar hard conversations with clients, seeing them take steps to comply with rules which may or may not really align with their business goals? Not yet. Um, and look, I think with the EU rules, particularly the SFDR, they're still evolving um, and we're still waiting for guidance. Um, and there are certain sort of consultations that have been postponed that I think we'll, we'll see where they sort of settle in terms of how prescriptive and um, burdensome some of the rules are to comply with. So I haven't seen managers sort of have, have to make those hard decisions as to whether they want to de-emphasize ESG factors even if they'd like to from a, from a business perspective. But I do worry that that could happen, um, which clearly is not what the policymakers intended. Um, but to the extent that these rules become so prescriptive and become difficult to comply with and sort of go beyond what the manager is choosing to do, given its investment objectives, strategy, and given its investors, yeah, I worry that there could be um, a shift. Um, and as I say, that, that's clearly not what, what was envisaged. And so it's interesting to hear, Eve, um, you know, that there's been, even though the EU rules may be actually more fleshed out in some ways than, than the DOL's rule is, and um, you know, maybe broader in scope, it seems like um, you know, there's already been some more concrete, hard decisions that have had to be made by some of our uh, U.S. managers or our global managers thinking about um, marketing to ERISA plans under the DOL rule. So as our global asset manager clients and our EU-focused uh, asset manager clients are thinking about all these different issues, if there was just one takeaway that you would leave them with, uh, what would it be? Thanks, Josh. Uh, and if I can be cheeky and take two takeaways, I mean, I, look, I think the first takeaway is from an EU perspective, now is the time to take action in terms of considering how the EU rules are going to impact your business and your products. Um, the rules come into force on the 10th of March next year, as I've mentioned, and I think particularly for people that are listening that have got more complex global structures, it's really important that you start thinking about the EU rules and how they interact across your business and other rules. Um, I think the other takeaway is that from, you know, again, ensuring that they interact and integrate between the DOL rules and the EU rule is really important. And I think one of the takeaways is that if this is carefully considered, I think it can be achieved. 
you know, whilst the DOL rule is looking at ensuring that you put weight on financial criteria and financial factors, um, and the EU rule is saying that you need to um, integrate sustainability risks into your investment decision-making process, it doesn't say that you can't put weight to financial criteria. I think there are ways that the two can be considered, but I think it does need careful consideration, and it needs to be balanced. Um, against the DOL requirement that these factors um, carry financial or economic weight um, as well as sort of ESG um, considerations. Well, those are both really, really great points, and I agree completely. I think that there's somewhat of a tightrope, but that doesn't mean that it can't be walked. Um, you just have to be very, very careful in making sure that you're meeting your obligations under the EU rules without um, sort of running afoul of prohibitions under the DOL rule. Thank you, Eve, for joining me for this really interesting discussion, and thank you to our listeners. For more information on the topics that we discussed today or any other topics of interest to the global asset management community, please visit our website at www.ropesgrade.com. And of course, we can help you navigate any of the topics we've discussed, so please don't hesitate to get in touch. You can also subscribe and listen to this series wherever you regularly listen to podcasts, including on Apple, Google, and Spotify. Thank you again for listening.